Today on Sagittarian Matters, a nutrition bar showdown with special guest Morgan. Plus, arts consultant Beth Pickens joins us once again to talk about social media, activism, and why you need to keep making art during this time of fascism. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Hello from Washington, D.C. I come to you crouched in a dirty shower stall because it's the only place I could find with good sound quality after hours in my friend's apartment building. I am in D.C. for the Small Press Expo. I'm going to be there Saturday, September 16th, and producer Ponyo will read your fortune. Come meet us and get a copy of Fetch painted in by yours truly. We will also be at Brooklyn Book Fest on September 17th, which is Sunday. Um, welcome back to the podcast. We're back from paternity leave. Producer Chris had a baby, and her name is Vivian Galaxy, and she is a dreamboat. I am so happy to have her on Earth. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And thank you, Producer Chris, for coming back. Without you, without Producer Chris, the podcast would be a pile of rubbish. A pile of trash. So, if you appreciate him and him amplifying my queer feminist artist voice, please send money to PayPal. His name is hornetleg at gmail.com via PayPal. You can send $5. You can send a million dollars. It's really up to you. Anyway, in other news, this week I have special guest Morgan coming back on the show to talk about some very scandalous paleo food mixes. And she force feeds me health bars, you know, like nutrition bars, um, things that purport to be cherry pie or lemon pie or taste better than a puck. Um, she force feeds me those and we review them. But first, I have arts consultant Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens has a book coming out with Feminist Press next year called Your Art Will Save Your Life. She is the author of the pamphlet Making Art During Fascism and multiple workshops slash support groups for artists called the same thing that she started hosting after the horrible election. Beth Pickens is a friend of the podcast. She is a proud Capricorn. She's a great advisor, and she has an incredible Instagram right now, Beth Pickens Consulting, where you can ask her questions about art, funding, support, arts grants, capitalism, whether you should keep making art, and more. So check her out online. Anyway, welcome back, Sagittarian Matters, Season 2. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. Nicole Georges, I'm so happy to be here. And by here, I mean my own office. We are in your beautiful office in Los Feliz, California. Los Feliz. Los Feliz. Los Feliz. (laughs) And uh, producer Pano's here wearing her cans, checking the levels, advising us. Working the boards. She's working. She told me I was being a little bit too loud, so I'm holding it a little. We're popping our peas. We are popping our peas. Uh, Beth, last time you were here, it was shortly after the election, and you were running a series of workshops um, in support groups called Making Art During Fascism. Now some time has passed. I burped in your face. (laughs) Some time has passed. You burped in my face. Uh, The world may be burning down, and um, you're still working with artists. Has your philosophy or your practice 
or anything around that changed in the months <clears throat> that have passed? Yeah, you know, I, I and the people around me, it just every time we hit a sort of new low or new bottom during this administration and some, something seems like beyond the level of outrage or outrageousness that one could tolerate, then something happens that's even crazier and more outrageous. And so I, for sanity, have to keep reading a lot of history to understand the longer context that we're in so that I don't think we are both in extraordinary times and really ordinary times um, so that there's nothing truly different happening in the policy level in the U.S. It's maybe just more illuminated for more people, what policy looks like in everyday people's lives. Oh, what do you mean? Well, the the level of, of structural oppression that most people, more than half of the country, was pretty aware of, it maybe it is just up and on more people's lips. Mm-hmm. Gross. I hate the word lips. On their lips. <laughs> um, and, and something else that I think in the past nine months of this administration, I think a lot of what I focus on now internally and in talking with artists is about combating fatigue and sustained engagement in all parts of their lives. Whereas the last time we talked, we were in the immediate shock and awe aftermath of the election. And the um, I, I remember the morning of the inauguration, listening to NPR and hearing about the first lawsuits being filed to create a sort of a chain reaction toward impeachment. And it's nine months later, I'm like, when's that impeachment coming? I thought it's coming. I thought I'd be here by now. When's it coming? I have high hopes for 2018. But I really think it's it's sort of like um, understanding that that Trump is not the problem. He is like a symptom of much larger structural problems in the culture. And once he is impeached, which again, I have high hopes for 2018, we still have all of these larger battles um, having to do with the way corporations and policy create such structural inequity in our culture. Mm. Mm. And should we stop making art yes. now? Yes, you should panic and go to law school like you thought you should. No, of course not. Your art is still necessary. First and foremost, my belief is that an artist makes art because it's how they understand being alive and on the planet. So if you're an artist, no matter what is happening, you are going to need to make art for you, first and foremost. And it's, you know, you're the most important person in your life. You have one life you're living and and you need to enjoy that life and get some serenity and growth and all the different human experiences of living a life. Um, And if you're an artist in this lifetime, then it's not really, you're not going to escape needing to make art. You might stop making it, but I think you'll have fallout emotionally if you stop making art. So that's the first level of defense. The second one is that we, the royal we, um, who are not artists and artists too, all depend on your art in order to have the world sort of explained to us. So you need to make the art because you're an artist, and I need you to make the art because I need the art. Does all the art need to be political right now? No. If you want to make political art, make political art, and if you don't, don't. That sounds great. <laughs> make exactly what you want to make. Beth, we have a lot of questions. Oh, I have for so you. many. I have answers. I have answers. You have so many answers. Let's, let's ask this question. First, because um, it, it kind of blends in with what we were saying. Okay. How can an aware and empathetic person navigate posting positive personal triumphs um, on social media in the face of world tragedy, such as DACA repeal, unpresent, unprecedented fires, floods, things like that? Right. 
And also, you know, uh, making art that's not political or self-promotion or just talking about things in your life that don't have to do with all those things. Right. You know, I think that for artists, they're in sort of a small group of sectors that really sort of worry about what they're doing when world events are happening around them. Whereas people in all kinds of other sectors aren't necessarily thinking about it so black and white. Like if I'm a dental hygienist, it doesn't matter if there's a fire somewhere. I'm still showing up to be a dental hygienist. That's my job. Um, and I think that's true for artists too. Um, so I'm going to sort of parse this out into two parts. One Dealing with living in the age of social media and the pressure to sort of perform something on social media balanced with a real feeling of duty to present information on social media. That's one piece. Then the second piece is, I went back to the question. There's no second piece. It's all about (laughs) the pull we feel, again, the royal we, people who use social media regularly, um, of sort of what the expectations we have for ourselves in using social media and what we perceive other people's expectations are of us. I deal with this too, just as an, a user of Instagram. That's the only social media platform. Maybe you've heard of it. Instagram. <laughs> yes. Um, it's the only social media platform I, I use. And certainly when some big thing happens, and to be sure, big things are happening every day all over the globe. They always have, but now we live in a 24-hour news cycle and global connectivity. So when something happens in um, uh, North Korea, we're hearing about it in real time. When there is a fire in Oregon, we're hearing about it in real time. 100 years ago, that wouldn't have been true. 40 years ago, that wouldn't necessarily have been true. So that's that's the context that we live in now. Um, there's always death and tragedy, natural and human created, happening all over the world every minute of every day, just like there's the mundane sort of daily minutia, just like there is joy and beauty. All things are happening all the time, every day. So I think for myself... If I feel compelled to sort of use my allotted social media interactions for the day, which for me is like one to two Instagram posts, um, what do I want to use them on? I don't feel a huge pressure to sort of talk about what's happening that day in politics or that day in natural disaster because I don't have a big platform. You know, I don't have a million followers. I don't have a big footprint there. So my words aren't reaching a huge mass of people. And the people who follow me on social media were pretty much in agreement with things and seem to be posting the same 10 memes all the time. So it, it, I, I, I can sort of let go of that feeling of expectation because I do not have a big platform. Whereas if I had 2 million followers, that social media platform could be a massive way of imparting information or public, swaying public opinion or helping form a, a narrative about something happening in the world. Um, But that's not true for me. So one thing I would say to the person asking them the question is, what is your real relationship with social media? How big is your platform? Is it like 150 friends that you're in constant contact with? If so, you could just like call them or talk to them. Whenever I'm sort of having that feeling of guilt, like, oh, I should be posting about X, Y, Z. I go back to, well, did I do something for XYZ? (laughs) I could actually just make that call to the senators that everybody's posting about, or I could post it. I don't always want to do both. So uh, 
often I'll just return to, what is the action I expect myself to take? If none, then why am I going to post something saying, hey, everyone, you should be calling these 10 people if I didn't call those 10 people? Mm -hmm. For me, because my platform is limited, a social media post is not activism. I don't have a very big footprint on the world, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That does make sense. Um, And then, so how do you, in terms of how do you be an engaged person, you could look at my social media and not have any idea what I'm doing in my actual life. We know that about levels of fun and relationships, right? Everyone's flexing for the gram, which is a phrase I learned. That I've never heard that, that phrase. Yeah, that's because young people use it. Flexing for the gram? For, well, I heard it on a podcast. Oh. I, I don't know. It, it means performing for social media. I really do the opposite of flexing for the you gram. You are not flexing for the gram. I'm, like, I'm not flexing for the gram either. I'm like, it's none of your business. And <laughs> yeah. if and if I choose to flex, it will be by flexing my prune intake <laughs> or my uh, anti-inflammatory tips. Flexing the sphincter for the gram. <laughs> flexing my orthopedics for the gram. Yeah. But, so, but we know that uh, there's... It's easy to sort of understand that people present a certain thing about themselves on social media. It's a very narrow window into somebody's life. It does not represent the fullness of their life or their actual experiences. This is what they want you to see. And we can apply that to relationships and health and fun and travel. And it's true for activism and levels of engagement, too. I could post something political every single day and never actually do anything. So like the 500 people who follow me who are also posting that thing, we could all be doing nothing but posting that thing. So again, if I was a person with 3 million followers, that thing might be useful. What's more useful is for me to actually just do the action. Well, what about, so that's one thing. I think this could be a two-parter. It might be a two-parter after all. Because the one thing is, yeah, just do the thing. Don't try to like beat everyone else into doing the thing if you haven't already done the thing. And do the people that you know already know to do the thing? We'll see. But the other thing is, so what if you are someone who is having a book coming out the same year that Donald Trump is burning down America? Mm -hmm. Or you're a queer person starting a blog? Or you have some kind of new development in your life that you want to tell people about? But it's the same time as there's tragedy going on. Sure, sure. You know, it's interesting to listen to stories of people whose big projects came out on 9-11. And I've heard them in different places. People whose people whose books premiered or or were published that day or whose albums came out that day because things are happening every day like we like i was saying earlier both tragedy and triumph every single day it's a really big planet um so i i I feel of multiple minds about it if i have some big thing i've been working toward and part of my job is to promote the thing that i'm working toward uh because that's that's the expectation of marketing um then what do I do if on the same day there happens to be a natural or human-created tragedy that is consuming the people I interact with, the, the Venn diagram of circles I interact with? Do I withhold it or not say anything? Do I say something anyway? It's really tricky. I understand because I think what we do is project onto all other people all the time with social media, thinking, well, what are they going to think of me if I do this? Or what are they going to think of me if I do that? And I think... Probably it doesn't make that big of a difference because the social media, unless you were a very famous person, I don't remember, Nicole, what you posted yesterday. What? You might not even remember what you posted yesterday. How dare you? <laughs> I don't remember what I posted yesterday. I did post a video upon you singing yesterday. <laughs> oh, now I, thanks for jogging my mind. Or I helped her post it. And I, I'll really be eating my words if come April when my book comes out. 
the day I, I've like preloaded all of my Instagram posts, everything's ready to go live, my website's ready, and then insert human created disaster happens yeah. that day. I honestly, if if a war was declared, another one, or if a big um, thing happened that impacted people I love, yeah, it would probably be like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like celebrating this thing right now. Yeah. But the thing I was, I, one of my friends asked me this question, something I was telling him was, and this is something someone told me, because I asked them, I asked somebody who was helping me with social media stuff, I was like, well, the world's burning down, so is it okay to post this, like, dumb shit about my dog? No offense, dog. But, you know, it was like, people still need joy, people still need entertainment. Yeah, And in, totally. in terrible times, people still need art. So that's what I'm here to do. And people know that I'm politically minded and I have their backs. And when I can, I will make art that has to do with that. Um, but no one's looking to me for the news. I can retweet things that I think are interesting that mm-hmm. are from people I follow who they might not follow. But, like, I don't have a hot, fresh take on the news. Right. Necessarily. <laughs> like, but I can provide entertainment and relief. And I'm also a queer person. And I'm a queer Syrian-American person. So, you know, if, if, if you want to, like, you know, feel like you're not just... The second more straight white guy dealing, <laughs> then uh, you can enjoy my art and know that you're. I think that's a really good point. Neither one of us are investigative journalists right now. Who knows what the future holds? Yeah. <laughs> I am not a pundit. I am not a policy wonk. I can offer none of those things. I am what we call. Um, uh, modern jackass. I, I listen to enough podcasts to what Ali Liebegott would say. I, I listen to enough podcasts to just be dangerous at a dinner party on many subjects, but I don't know that much about them. I can just tell you what I heard. Um, and I read a lot and I'm thinking and I'm smart, but the thing I'm really good at is telling artists what to do. And so that's the thing I have to offer that I have to keep doing. And I have to think about, well, am I just projecting onto other people what I think they're thinking about me? Is it more important for me to insist on my Instagram that Black Lives Matter? Or is it more important that I do work in my in my real life? Whether or not people know about it, is, is that of more use? And for me, because, again, I don't have a big platform on social media and I'm a pretty private person in many ways, it's more important to me to actually do the meaningful work on the ground that I know how to do um, rather than post a lot of things about it. You're saying do a good deed and don't get discovered and don't boast about it? <laughs> Interesting. Now we're making like some weird Christian podcast now. Like <laughs> do a good tune. But really, you know, in the in the levels of um, tzedakah and Judaism, like the highest form of, of giving to another human being is when is when you do some act of good for someone and you don't know who you did it for and they don't know who did it for them when everybody's oh. a stranger in the situation. Oh, I love that. Like a bathhouse. <laughs> good deeds. Yeah. I think, I can't remember the Hebrew word for bathhouse, but I'm pretty sure it's in Leviticus. Let's look at another question. Okay. You're here to help artists. I'm here to create entertainment. Artists and other free peoples. How about we look at this one? Yeah. What do you do or say to yourself when you are convinced your efforts are bullshit? (laughs) Don't trust your brain. Um, I believe that the artist's brain can do many wonderful things. Many genius turns are taken in that brain. 
but the brain does not accurately reflect you back at you. It's kind of like my iPhone camera. It makes me uglier than I really am. It is not reflecting me back at me. I don't look like that. <laughs> um, and so after you make a work or do something and your brain's like, that sucks. What are you doing? How embarrassing. You can't pay attention to that. That is just your brain doing its thing. And that's when you need to dig in and pick up a tool. Rather, not not a tool like some jerk you know. but Like, like a hoe? A hoe. Pick up a hoe. Or um, a b- Pick up a tool, like an interpersonal tool. Call a friend. Um, it, lean into the artist community that I'm always nagging people they need to have. Because mm-hmm. I see so many artists sitting on this couch, the very couch you're sitting on right now, every week. And I got to tell you, almost everybody's brain tells them the same line of bullshit. You suck. This is no good. You're wasting your time. This isn't going to go anywhere. No one's going to like this. No one's going to want it. And I think that's probably true for all artists across space and time. So works that are uh, like in the canon that are canonized, lionized now, it's possible the artist who was creating it had a lot of doubts and felt really bad about their skill and their vision. You cannot trust your brain. You have to make the thing and help it get out into the world so that the people who need to access it can get to it. Yes. Can I build on that? Yes, when please. I, when I went to the Linda Berry uh, workshop, she was talking about how, you know, you sh- she really is into taking away the judgment of the value of your art as good or bad. And she just wants you to make art. She's like, it's kind of like your kidney. Like, you need it. That's your, you wouldn't take out, you wouldn't look at your kidney and be like, ew, this is an ugly kidney. Um, I just want to point out I had a kidney removed, so this doesn't exactly apply to me. Okay, well, sorry, your liver. I'll say your liver. <laughs> I didn't realize I was talking to, I forgot I was talking to somebody who was to kid- a one kidneyed person. I was being ableist, <laughs> but it's like your liver. It does a function for your body. You right. don't get to judge whether it's good or bad. Right. It's just doing its thing. And it's not ugly or not ugly. It's doing a vital function that you need to survive. And so as an artist, that's what your art is doing. And also if you spit on your art, every time it comes out, it's not going to want to come out. It's going to get harder. Ooh. If like, I just know like when I was a teenager, I did a zine uh, and all my friends around me did zines too, but they were all straight white guys who were into self-deprecation as a way to seem modest. And so they would call their zine like this rag or this piece of shit or this piece of trash. And I, at some point, I'm going to get a little bit the secret here, but I, at some point, started calling mine that too because it just seemed like the thing to do. Right. But it actually affected my feelings around it or my esteem around it. I just realized after a year or so of calling it like this rag or this piece of shit or I don't know, it's not that good. It just made me feel like it wasn't that good. And so I kind of turned it around and I was like, that wasn't even me. I was just like copying what these people did. Sure. Sort of a false modesty or like a fear of being proud of something. Yeah. So I just want to say, be nice to your art. You know, even if you're like, this isn't. And the other thing Linda Berry was like, you know, said was when you're beginning as an artist, um, you know, it's kind of like having a baby and you don't just immediately jump on the back of the baby and say, take me to the bank and try to ride it to the bank. Like that's, that's you know, it's, it's like, let it come out, nurture it, let it get strong, give it the space to be what it's going to be without telling it it sucks all the time. And then maybe you can ride it to the then bank. lasso that baby. Yeah. But like at first you got to like, yeah, I told my students, it's like a fawn who's just born learning to walk. You're not like, you suck. It's like, you're learning to do this thing. You're getting sure. better as an artist. And at a certain point you'll feel strong and Sometimes you'll feel stronger than other times, but yeah. Yeah. If you stop yelling, you suck at your art all the time, or like, you're not making me money, so you must suck. Capitalism, capitalism. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Um, we, it, it, it can be painful to use external measures of success to gauge whether we are worthy of being on the planet. Yeah. 
true, true, true dad. <laughs> Give me another. I'm just gonna leave that there. Okay, more questions. We have questions. Do you want any of those, or do you want me to go to the next one? How do you like to support creative friends? Fun mini, fun mini zine sharing, encouraging love letters, concrete experience sharing. Me personally, the first thing I like to do is spend money on their art. That is how I try to show support to artists I love. Is I pay for their work. Um, I, beyond that, beyond actually like supporting them financially, um, I also try to connect artists. So, for example, there's a painter I really love, Amanda Kirkoff, um, and you can see lots of works in my home. Not you, listener, but Nicole, you can. And I've purchased her artwork before, and I really believe in her as an artist, and so. I organized something at my house to introduce people in Los Angeles to this painter because she lives in Seattle. And she came here and we displayed a bunch of her work and she put a slideshow on our TV and I got like food and drinks and invited people over who might buy her work and just get to know her work. And that was a way to sort of help her build a community and build more audience of, of potential buyers, people who would... um who I thought would really like her work. That's like an example. Definitely fan letters, telling people how much you like their work. You'd be surprised. I know, Nicole, you've taught your students this, that if they're grateful for something, express the gratitude. I think that we probably assume the artists we love who are making really great stuff must get it all the time, how amazing they are. But not really. I mean, people don't tend to express gratitude directly that frequently. So if there's somebody who you really appreciate, just verbalize it, articulate it. I really like this. This work was really important to me. Or I really like what you're doing. Keep doing it. Yeah. And then in those moments where the artist is having self-doubt or imposter syndrome or whatever, it's really valuable to get a letter like that. Yeah. On a day when maybe other things aren't going your way. Yeah. Do you keep such a file in your computer somewhere or in your email like of people writing to you saying how much they like your work? I don't keep a file. I read them and I go, that's very nice. You go, I don't believe it. Lies. <laughs> I used to, I, I kept, I mean, I when people would write me paper letters, I have a bunch of those that I've kept. And then emails, I mean, they're all there because I'm a digital hoarder, but I don't have them in one space. Mm. Because I usually, mm. I'll read them and I'll be like, thank you, that's very nice to hear. Mm-hmm. And then I... Yeah. When people express gratitude to me over email, usually, because that's the easiest thing to keep is digital, I'll, I have a file that I could, you know, so if my brain's ever like, you're a piece of shit, I can be like, no, I have receipts proving otherwise. I'm a good person. <laughs> the work I do is valuable and people outside of myself think so and here they are. Yes. Um, we have to answer these questions fast because I realize we have to eat, still eat dinner and... Go do some fun, some fun things. Um, yeah, I like to I like to tell the people I know and love, no matter what their level is, how much I like their stuff and how much I appreciate their stuff. I like to connect them with other people, develop them. But money is the thing. Yeah, you know that Liz Fair song that goes, "It's nice to be liked, but it's better by far to get paid." No, but that sounds great. <laughs> That's like my internal song on repeat all the time. Oh, I want to I want to scratch that into myself with a safety pin or something. <laughs> so so it looks extra crazy. Hello. I am wondering, am I completely crazy? I am in graduate school and considering quitting my crap retail job that is my only source of income currently because I'd like to pursue comic making and more specifically make comics about the grad program I'm in because I want everyone and anyone to have the information I am learning because most of it revolves around empathy and giving and that is what life is. So 
Okay. Also, I don't know how to word this. Probably means I'm terrible at comics. But I want to make art about my delusional Jehovah Witness family and abuse and drug use and child molester Midwest bullshit I grew up around. But it's so damn hard to get past who the fuck would read this. Even though I tell everyone all the time to write their stories. Maybe I'm scared to see it on paper. Do you have advice for any of that? Anything at all in the whole world would be useful. Seriously, thanks. Okay, I, I want to say as a cartoonist, don't quit your day job. And it does, As a person who cares a lot about personal finance, do not give up a source of income unless you have another source of income lined up. Yeah, we have one more question on that page. Um, oh. Yeah, don't and don't don't give it up and don't give it up for comics. No, but in, I heard a couple of different things in that question. I heard one: Should I give up my stupid job? No, not unless you have another stupid job or a less stupid job lined up. You need to bring in income. Um, but then I also heard, I have a story to tell. Should I tell it? Yes. And there's lots of ways to do that. It doesn't have to be a, a this binary of I can either earn money or I can tell my story. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. And if it's like you, you think it's a time constraint, I guarantee you could um, fit in story, sort of writing out the story or taking a creative workshop to get the story out of you without – losing all the other parts of your day give up social media for one month and instead put all of that time into doing something with this story that's inside of you yeah um and she wants to know if it's worth telling or if anyone will read it i think that that's less important than just that you have to tell it yeah first step before you make the thing sometimes your brain will be like but will anybody like this it doesn't matter the thing doesn't exist yet so that's a that's a future tripping question that's not relevant you didn't make a thing yet for people to like or not like Make the thing first. And I want to say, as a cartoonist, I come across this a lot with my students, and I harp on it on the podcast all the time, but a lot of people who have never done a four-page comic, a 12-page comic, a 32-page comic, would like their first project to be a graphic novel. And there is no worse thing you could do to yourself than embark on a graphic novel as your first project or a beginner's comics project because it takes a lot of your time your style will change. There's a lot you don't know, and you're going to learn along the way. And by the time you get to page 50, you're going to look back and hate page one. So tell this story in installments is my advice to you. Do it in installments, and then, you know, if you say you do 10 chapters and you publish them all as mini comics, if you go back and decide you hate chapter one, you can still change chapter one because it's not, you know, and you're not going to want to change chapter one because it just took you like 4,000 hours to draw a chapter. You know, but it's, you're not going to be locked into like one giant book or a contract or years and years of work. I have a, another piece. You're in graduate school. Put this energy into getting the most out of your graduate school experience while you're there through mentorship, through sort of soaking up every strategic relationship you can get out of the place. While you're there, get the most use out of it. Keep your focus there. Yeah. I love that. All right, let's take our last question. How do you best build solid creative networks that feel meaningful while capitalism and queer life sometimes fling you from place to place? Um, the internet. Yeah, the internet. I mean, if you're in a place where you're new or your community feels far away or you're having trouble meeting people, I, I like to start locally 
with what's going on in the community you're in? What can you get involved in that already exists? Do you see a lack of something? Is there something simple that you can do to organize a creative community? So um, in my own life, when I have felt on the outside of something that I wanted or as if the thing didn't exist, I just created the thing and invited other people in. And it turns out most people want to have community created and offered for them. So no matter where you are, look to see what already exists that you can get involved in that will create some connectivity. And in absence of that or an alienation of that, create something on your own. Yeah. I want to say if you're trying to get into a community that you kind of know exists or you see another artist who you like or just anything, give back. Do something for them. You know, like I know people that are in teaching teaching communities or writing communities online, and they'll always just be asking questions, asking questions, taking people's resources, but they're never offering up resources. And I find that annoying, and I don't want – at a certain point, I don't want to help them anymore. So, like, if you're trying – you know, if you want an artistic community because you want some give and take, make sure you're giving, too. Make sure you're sharing of your resources, you're sharing of what you know, um, what you have to offer creatively – no matter what level you're at so that it can be mutually beneficial. Yeah. That's because I've like, I've always made friends through volunteering or organizing like Beth is talking about creating events, creating spaces, teaching workshops, doing skill shares, like offering something to people. And then they get to know me that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a nice way to get to know people. Yeah. We also like to make friendships through work only (laughs) i have a lot of capricorn in my chart (laughs) all friends will eventually be my co-workers and all co-workers will be my friends the best way to get me to keep a plan is or to even make more space for a plan is to make it somehow about work yep like like right now i was like let's hang out and have fun i was like can we record a podcast and i was like of course (laughs) perfect (laughs) all right beth pickens is there anything you want to tell my listeners or queer people or artists at all. At all? Yeah. Um, give me a pause for a sec so I can think. I want you to know that Beth just started an Instagram. Oh, yeah. I could tell you about my professional Instagram, I, a phrase I love saying. Oh, yeah. We'll say that. Can you say that while you think of another thing that you want people to know? That's what I want you to know. Perfect. I want you to know. So my professional Instagram. uh, Okay, so I have always not done marketing for my consulting business because it was sort of non-marketing was my marketing. You had to be referred to me. And in order to get referred to me, you had to know somebody who worked with me. I liked it being sort of cryptic because then people self-selected out. And I didn't have to waste my time. Nobody could yelp me, for instance. Um, But I have this book coming out called Your Art Will Save Your Life on Feminist Press in April. And... You can't um, sell a book by not marketing. (laughs) So I had to be willing to do some marketing work, very, very much to my dismay and chagrin and all other synonyms. So I have a professional Instagram account. I'm basically going all Instagram and podcasts for my marketing. So my professional Instagram is Beth Pickens Consulting, right? That's the name. Mm -hmm. And that's where I am putting out information about what I do with artists in little digestible bits and also uh, short videos of artists asking me questions that they have. And then I answer them and I give out resources and information and tell you about workshops that I'm leading, et cetera, et cetera. I love that. Um, What is the most common question you get right now? (laughs) 
I, you know, an ongoing thing before the election, after 12 elections from now, so much of what people talk to me about is sort of feeling isolated and feeling like they're the only one who feels isolated. And I always feel very grateful that I get to tell them, guess what? You're not alone and feeling alone. And we have some really concrete antidotes to feeling alone, not just being with people as a solution, but how to have meaningful contact with people. Um, People often come to me telling me in one way or another that they feel sort of isolated or alone. Hmm. I never would have thought that was the most common question, the FAQ. So the tools are like reaching out to your community, creating stuff, creating spaces, Mm -hmm. things we talked about Mm -hmm. here on the podcast. Here on the podcast. Well, I can't wait to see what happens on your Instagram next. I mean, who, who, who knows what will happen next? I will ask you a question for it. That's for sure. Yeah. So you can you can you can follow me there, and you can um, you can tell me a question you have, and then I'll give you my phone number or whatever, and you can sext me your short video of fifteen seconds or less asking me a question, and then I'll answer that question. Beth, I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks as always for having me. Sagittarian Matters. I always love being here. You brought home from work some things that we were going to try, but a couple of controversial things happened. Can you please tell us what you brought and tell us what the problem is? I was outraged. Okay. I literally screamed at you, I think, about this. So there are these two mixes, Paleo Baking Company. One is called Lemon Poppy Seed Cake and Muffin Mix. The other is called Blueberry Muffin Mix. I go ahead and I turn the package over, take this journey with me. And then I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do? I'm going to make these for Nicole when she comes to visit. It's going to be so great. And then the directions are the exact same. And then I'm like, wait a, wait a minute, something feels a little weird about this. The pa- Okay, mind you, the lemon has like a green top package. The blueberry is purple. They look really different. Totally different package. And then I read the ingredients. It's the exact same thing. It is really fraudulent. So the only difference is you add lemons to one of them and then you add blueberries to another. I mean, and poppy seeds. It's the same. I couldn't, I was like, this is really just really false advertising. And then the muffins you do make in a muffin tin and then the cake you make in a cake tin. You do it. Like everything that's different about it is you do. So what are you buying? Different colored bags to match your kitchen decor because you're paleo and maybe that's important to you. Hazelnut flour, coconut flour, sea salt, baking soda. Hazelnut flour, coconut flour, sea salt, baking soda. I'm reading a different package. Also, we were going to make it and then it was for one recipe, a cup of coconut oil, six eggs, a cup of honey. I was like, we can't replace six eggs. This is going to be gross. That's a lot of flax seeds. That's a lot of coconut oil. There's not, there's like two cups of dusty material in this bag. Like, that's a two-to-one ratio right there. I like coconut oil, but I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to say between you and me and the dog, Mm -hmm. if you and I just opened one of these and MacGyvered it with some oil that we had, some maple syrup, and some almond butter or almond milk. I like powdered peanut butter. And powdered peanut butter. We could make our own thing out of this, like some pancakes or something. Basically, the package and the directions are the worst part of this thing. I'm opening it up because I want to smell it. I want to know how much this retails for. Probably like eight. At least $8. I'm guessing. I'm ballparking here. But it smells fine. It smells normal, like Mm. dusty stuff. I mean, it's still fine. 
Great. This is outrageous. All right. So if you want to be outraged, go to the grocery store, scope out paleo baking, established 2012. Oh, God. Five long years. I love that there is like a, what is it, like a mastodon or whatever on it, a woolly mammoth on it, and then it says established 2012. 2012. Also, mastodons don't eat muffins. What? What? What do you say about my ancestors? I didn't come from no monkey. All right. Morgan, uh, what else did you bring? Bring some, bring up our spirit. Okay, so to recover from that, you know, I did notice one difference. There's a slightly different number of ounces in the bag. So there you go. It's the single difference. Anyway, we're going to cleanse our palates with a course of food bars. <laughs> We've got pure organic cherry cashew bar. This one I think Nicole's really going to like. It's called New Go Fiber, lowercase d, apostrophe, all caps, LISH. Mmm, fiber delicious. Sounds so unappetizing to everyone but Nicole. And then we've got fruit chia, strawberry blast, and also blueberry blast. I want to say something, which is there is a bread company in Portland, and I can't remember what they're called, but mm. they have like a toilet on the. <laughs> it's called like Makes You Go Bread like or bread something. Bread company or something. Yeah, it? it's like a bread company that alludes to the toilet on the <laughs> wrapping. Which, and I remember when I first got, I first bought it, and I was like, yeah. ugh. And then I was like, this bread is good. Oh, yeah. Like Nordic sport bread. Nordic sport bread. It's so (laughs) delicious. It's like a dark rye. You know, it has cranberries and nuts in it. It makes a delicious toast. And it, I don't know. I can't. I don't want to elaborate, but it was fine. Followed <laughs> up by a blueberry blast, and then a fiber delish. But this fiber company be called New Go. I know. Anything that's like we're here to make you run to the squatty potty <laughs> is hurting me. Okay, let's try that since we've been talking about it. Fiber delish. It's got the V logo on the front. But just you know, I hate a bar. I think bars are disgusting punishment food. So just I do this out of love. Before you eat it, some chocolatey bar. <laughs> There's something weird going on. I don't know what it is. Mm, like vanilla extract, but the actual, not the vanilla part, just the booze part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is that? There's a lot of fiber in there. You can feel it. I think I can have too much fiber. Not to tell the <laughs> listeners too much. <laughs> they want to know. <laughs> too much fiber is no good for me. Ugh. Also, fiber delicious. You know, it tastes fine. It tastes like a little brownie hunk. It tastes 48 percent of your daily fiber in this one bar Ooh. whoa mary that is a toilet disaster waiting to happen tell me how much protein's in here you and your goddamn protein uh i don't know if you're vegan but people Bad. sometimes ask you about protein four grams give me a break it's a bar. i get- can't even walk to the toilet with four grams of protein <laughs> <laughs> it's not a protein to sustain me right. this strawberry blast is pretty Three, two, one. <laughs> it's like I think just like fruit puree and then chia seeds. So you can envision what that looks like. It's sticky. It's dense. It's crunchy. It's like you would think this was the inside of a Fig Newton, but then you would be so upset because mm. it has some kind of extra dense quality dense. and it's not as charming as a Fig Newton. Mm. They just need to loosen it up. Like we loosen all that peanut butter. It's going to get loose, but... You know, I think the fruit tastes okay. Just me. I don't know. Being a traveling vegan, mm. when this is the only thing left, I'm scarred because there have been many times when, like, you know, a Lara bar's, like, quote-unquote, lemon pie it is, is the only thing cool. left in my bag, and I'm like, <laughs> hate it, and it does not have anything to do with pie. It's not. Also, this company is called Get Chia. Get, get it. You're going to get a blueberry blast? Yeah. Mm. They really could have cut down on the Chia. <laughs> 
Half. Half or less. What are people eating chia for right now? Um, this one says omega-3s. Well, I guess probably fives, I guess. I like an omega-3. I love them. Give me some flax any dang day. I'd I'd eat this blueberry one. If I lived, if I, if like the world had ended and then someone's like, here's your dessert ration. Look at all these omega-3s. Yeah, great. Look at the, 1040 the pictures of the blueberries have like Nickelodeon gack behind them. <laughs> Our last bar, pure organic cherry cashew bar. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sweet, kind of nutty, totally healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm making fun of your friends. I cannot wait the to bars. come. Start a food bar company with you. Our packaging is incredible. <laughs> so many pre- like promises and alternative uses. Like use it as a conditioner. Get it to your dog. Serve it on a platter for fancy desserts. Give it to a vegan you hate. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. I don't think this one's so bad. It's just dry AF. What? It's wet. Once I got really into dried cherries, mm. and then I got food poisoning. And from so, cherries? No, from a burrito from King Burrito on Lombard. <laughs> and so those cherries came right back up. And mm. I've been a little bit hesitant to get back in on the dried cherry game ever since. I really pushed your boundaries tonight. Thanks for going there with me. No I think this one's totally good. I think it's all right. What is that? From California. This feels very reminiscent of a Lara bar to me. Mm-hmm. This is like cherry pie. And you're cherry. Like, it's not pie, mm-hmm. bitch. Sorry, really... women. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, pies. Um... Uh, yeah, I just think like a little honesty in advertising goes a really long way. You know what you're getting into? No sticker shock. I think I would eat this. Okay, so if we had a bar company, my suggestion would be call it, call this one like dense and chewy. <laughs> At least you're not dead. <laughs> I would call this. We'll tide you over till your next snack, not meal. Mine would be called. So sorry. <laughs> Try disassociating. Okay. <laughs> Blueberry blossom be called really weird texture. So many tiny crunches. Without the charm of a Fig Newton. <laughs> but harder. <laughs> if, if Fig Newton got buried alive and dug up 13 years later. And the cookie had disintegrated. This seedy interior. It would be grown into a plant by then. Really? It just makes me want to like drink some water and eat an actual fig. I'm really thirsty. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I gave Morgan some sparkling water to cleanse her palate in between strange, Ooh. strange foods. Okay, Morgan, which of these bars would you eat again? I think that's a winner. What? Cherry cashew. By Pure okay. Organic. Yeah. I would eat Blueberry Blast Ooh. Fruit Chia again. Mm, pass. Okay. No. You know what? At least if there's not going to be any protein, it's straight up about it. It's like, you know what? There's two grams of protein in this because it's not a protein food. I love an or, omega-3. Whereas you give me something that's like full of nuts and has negative five grams of protein, I'm like, get out of here. I love it, omega-3. I think flax is my preferred omega-3. Sorry. Sorry, Chia. Well, if we would have made those paleo muffins, we could have had 15 cups of flax. <gasps> this also has 340 milligrams of omega-6. I don't actually know about omega-3. They could just be making that up. Okay. Thanks, Morgan, for that's the bars cool. and for the paleo real talk. Tune in again to fi- find out more about our new food bar company <laughs> starting up. At least you're not dead. Food bar company. <laughs> Great for the vegan you hate. <laughs> Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.